Welcome to the Parenting Unique Children podcast with your hosts, Randy and Renata. Hey everybody. So because COVID is still happening, uh, Renata can, is not able to host with me today, so you're stuck with just Randy. However, I definitely have talked to Renata about all of our podcast stuff, so she's in the know. Today's episode is a super important topic. I'm going to be talking about the IPRC process and what the heck that means. Now, um, I'm speaking from Ontario, Canada, so this is where my information will be coming from. Other countries, other provinces, they might have a different process, Um, but for Ontario, this is what we have to do. So I got a lot of my information from... um, the education government website, so edu.gov.on.ca, and actually the dsbn.org website as well. So, and then I will be talking about personal experience with this process, of course. So let's jump on in. What is it? So IPRC is an acronym. It stands for Identification Placement and Review Committee. So it basically means it's a committee of people from the school board. So it has to be the principal. And usually it's like a classroom teacher, maybe the LRT, could be somebody from the school board, the spec ed person. Um, But there'll be three people. The principal's one of them and then two other staff members. And they form the committee to determine whether or not a student is exceptional. And exceptional does have specific categories, which I will talk about those in a little bit. Um, But so an exceptional student can then be potentially placed into the class that best suits their needs. So the IPRC is what gets a student placed into various classes that are outside of our regular. They can be placed in regular as well, but to get into those other classes, the IPRC has to be done. So exceptionalities, like I said, they're predetermined. They have a list of what is considered an exceptionality. So if the child fits into one of those categories, then it's marked on this piece of paper. Um, the way they, the school board does it where my child goes is that it's they have it printed on a sticker and they actually take the sticker and put it on the paper and you sign and say, yep, I agree with that sticker. Um, because it is a cut and paste answer from the government of what that exceptionality is. As a parent or guardian, you have a right to attend that meeting, of course. You can choose not to attend that meeting, but the meeting will still proceed with or without you. So you really should go. Um, Your student is allowed to go with you. Now, they say 16 years of age or older. However, I am under the belief that if I am to talk about my child, she has every right to be there, no matter her age. I have yet to run into trouble with uh, the school board telling me no um, because again if I'm talking about her she has every right to be there so I mean technically I guess maybe they could say no because their rules are 16 years and older and I mean she's only just 13 now and we've had IPRCs done um, since grade four or grade grade three was the first one Um, so since eight now not to say that she always went with me because if she doesn't want to I don't She doesn't really need to be there, but I always give her the option. Um, And like I said, we've been doing this process since grade three. So the reason I picked this topic is because our IPRC 
uh, is coming up in two weeks. So I thought this is a great time to talk about what the heck that means. Uh, so again, it's talking about where, where placement in a special education class could be deemed the most appropriate for that student. So it needs to be written in this document. There, it can't just be as a parent or as a teacher, I think this kid's exceptional. Because I mean, every kid is unique in their own ways and exceptional in their own ways. That's why the government has listed out what counts and you need to have proof of that. So it could be through assessments, it could be through doctor's notes, whatever it is, assessments. So the first time we had our RP, IPRC, um, I, got, I brought a doctor's note with her diagnoses listed. And that is how she got exceptional for that. When it comes to a learning disability, a psychoeducational would be the proof that's needed to show that, yes, there's a learning disability for such, such and such area. Um, they're going to review this annually. So like I said, ours is coming up in, in two weeks and we've done one every single year. The placement of the class might change. The exceptionality doesn't tend to, um, unless maybe your child got a new diagnosis. Like uh, last year, she just got the learning disability one, whereas the autism one came when she was in grade three. So that would be the only change that occurred in, in the last few years. But really, every year we go in, it's the same thing. Um, the first year, you know, it's a little bit more freaky because you don't know what to expect. But after that, they're pretty standard every year. However, they can be held more frequently if change or collaboration is needed. So generally, I know um, the first year that we did it, I was told, oh, we, we can only do them once a year. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I thought it was kind of weird. But then I heard, well, technically you can do them once every three months because you can reevaluate it. So I'm not 100% sure, but I do know that each and every year they do have to do this process. So if you got an IPRC once, every year they will be redoing it because they, they have to. Um, and the committee, the IPRC committee, has a duty. They're going to discuss strengths and needs of your child when making the IPRC decision. Now, for us personally, whenever I've went into the IPRC, it was preceded by a whole bunch of other meetings already. Like she already had an IEP because um, that's a separate topic that I'll do a separate podcast about when that time comes. Um, but so at our actual IPRC meeting, we really didn't discuss strengths and needs because we had done that previously. So I'm going to say it really depends on your relationship with the principal because if you have a good relationship and you've talked about these things, the meeting can be short and sweet and quick. Like, I think last year our meeting was maybe 20 minutes tops uh, because nothing had really changed. We had already discussed what class she was going to go into. All we had to do was really sign the official document. So it really um, can be a short process. But in that very first time you have one, take your time with it. Okay. Now, to get started with the whole process, there's two different ways it can get started. Either as a parent, I can request an IPRC or the principal can request one. So the, the first year that we got one done, I as the parent requested it, and you have to do it in writing. So you send in a letter to the principal requesting an IPRC. After that, the principal has sent me the letters requesting the IPRC because they know the date that the yearly thing will be coming up. So they usually send it to me from the principal side. Now, what are some of the options 
for the classes. So I've talked about how the IPRC is determining if your child is exceptional. And if they are determined exceptional, then there's options for types of classes they could go into. So there are uh, f five main types of classes that the student could potentially go into. So I'm going to go through each of them. Um, so the first one is just a regular class, right? So they're still in with their regular peers, but they're going to have indirect support. What that means is that they might have, um, they could have an EA that comes in and checks on them. It could be that the teacher's receiving some kind of specialized consultative services. So maybe an OT is consulting with them. Um, but it's really just the, the child's in a regular class, but they might need that extra support, whether that support is directed at the child or directed at the teacher to help the teacher teach them better. Then the second one is a regular class with resource assistance. So the resource assistance, again, they're in a regular class for pretty much all of the day, but they could receive some kind of specialized instruction. Could be like a one-on-one -on -one time, could be in a small group, but it's still within that regular class. Uh, but there is a qualified spec ed teacher there. Third one, still a regular class, but now there's withdrawal assistance meaning that the student is in that regular class, but at some points in the day, they're gonna receive instruction outside of the class. That is for less than 50% of the day though. The majority of the day is spent in the regular class and they might just have a few times that they're pulled out. Could be maybe, so for instance, my daughter has the learning disability with her reading writing. Um, she's not in regular with withdrawal, but if she was capable of being in regular class because of the reading writing disability, she could be pulled out for maybe English period. So it's less than 50% of the day, she's just pulled out for English period, she's got some extra assistance for that, and then she would be back in with her regular class. That's an example of that one. The fourth one, special education class with partial integration. So this is a student's in a special education class, which means that the student-teacher ratio has to fall within the education regulations. Generally, what I've seen, at least in our area, is um, eight students to one teacher and at least one EA. That's been my experience anyways. I don't know the actual regulation, what it says, but around where I live, eight students seems to be the number. So they're in that special education class for at least 50% of the day. But then at certain times, they get integrated back into the regular class. So for grade four and six, yeah, grades four and six, <laughs> sorry, it takes a bit to think because it's been a long road, uh, my daughter was in this type of class. So she was in what's called a social strategies class. So it's in a regular school, social strategies class for grade four. And the idea, we never made it this far, we they tried a couple times but didn't work out for her, but what they would do is during certain periods, they would take the child out and they would go and integrate them into the regular class. So what I mean by take them out is the EA that's part of the class. So for her class, there was eight kids, one spec ed teacher, and then two EAs. So the EA would take the child to their regular class and be in that class with them while they did it. So they tried it for my daughter for art because it's her favorite to integrate into that regular class. The fifth one is a full-time special education class. All right, sorry about that, I got interrupted. So the fifth class 
is a full-time special education class. So that is, again, the student-teacher ratio. Again, around here where I live, it's eight students. Um, but it's for the entire day. So this, um, my daughter was also in for grade five. There was no opportunity to be integrated into a regular class at any point. So those are the five various types of classrooms. Now there is an offshoot of this. So an IPRC could also refer a student to another kind of committee to see if that student would be eligible for a, diff a provincial school for blind, deaf, or deafblind students. So they have uh, a separate kind of thing to determine that. Um, and I don't know much about that, sorry. Um, but that is an option. So now I'm going to just kind of review with you what the categories for the exceptionalities are. Then you'd be able to know if your child maybe fits into one of them. So there are 12 various categories. Each category is also 12 subcategories. I didn't list the main categories. I think it's like four main categories and then the sub ones. But with these categories, the child has to fit into at least one of them to be determined to have an exceptionality and then potentially go into one of those types of classes. Each category also has a fairly large, some of them, some of them are short, but some of them have fairly large descriptions to really exactly explain what it is they're looking for. For these, I'm not going to read you the, the whole thing, um, but I'm going to just kind of break them down a little bit. So 12 categories. The first one is behavior. This would mean that the student's behavior has to negatively affect their educational performance. So behavior could be because of excessive fears, because of extreme anxieties, things like that. It's making it so that they cannot function in the regular classroom. Next one is autism. And again, it's to the extent that it's affecting their education because there are lots of children out there that have autism that do fine in a regular classroom. So it's to the extent that it's affecting their being in a regular classroom. Um, the third one is deaf or hard of hearing. The fourth one is language impairment. So that could be either verbal communication or written communication. Fifth is some type of speech impairment. The sixth is a learning disability. So again, that needs to be diagnosed through a psychoeducational assessment. Uh, those you can request through your school board. I've heard that they take um, a long time. There's a wait list. My daughter got hers through CPRI. Um, and I know my friend got hers done through a separate place that she did have to pay for. And then you have to make sure that the school board accepts that psychologist's assessment of your child. So before you pay for anything, make sure they're going to accept what you pay for. Uh, the seventh one is giftedness. So this is where there's an unusually high degree of intelligence. This is where if they stayed in the regular classroom, they would be bored out of their skull, basically, because they're they're above their grade. The eighth one is a mild intellectual disability. Ninth one is a developmental disability. Tenth one is a physical disability. Again, to the extent that they need extra assistance because for whatever reason, being in the regular class just wouldn't work for whatever it is that's going on with them. Eleventh is blind and low vision. And the twelfth is multiple exceptionalities. So they fall into more than one category. So there's multiple exceptionalities. With that in mind, again, all of these have to do to come back with affecting their education and how their education um, 
should be run, I guess, is the best way to say it. I'm not sure if it really is, but any type of exceptionality, when they're giving it, when they're looking at putting them in another classroom, it's because they can't stay in the regular class. Or if they are staying in a regular class, that exceptionality has made it so that they need a little bit extra help. So those are the categories. Um, a few tips for parents. Make sure, and if you're new to this podcast or you're new to this journey of having a child with uh, neurodiversity, then these might help you. Some parents might go, obviously, I already do that. <laughs> so the first one here, keep a file at home, contains all the important information, all in school information, doctor's information, like reports, things like that. Keep it all there. Very important. Anything from the child's teacher that's describing their behavior, their education, anything like that, make sure that you keep it. The teacher is always the best first point of contact, right? There's a hierarchy. You go to the teacher, then you go to the VP, then you go to the principal, then it would be the school board. So you, you want to try and hope that you can have open lines of communication with the teacher. This year, we've been super lucky. I adore my, my child's teacher. She's fantastic. But there's been years that I could not stand the teacher and we did, we're not on the same page. So, you know, I've had the best of both worlds. Before the IPRC, especially if it is your first time, write down any questions that you might have. That way, when you're in the meeting, you're not overwhelmed and forgetting what you want to make a point of. And even any meeting that you go into the school with, I, I've learned my lesson the hard way. Go in with a list, a written down list, because even if you think, oh, it's in my head, I know. When you're in there and they have three to, I've been in meetings where there's 20 other people uh, around the table and just me, it can be very intimidating. So make sure that you write it down. Feel free to bring somebody with you to the meeting. Have somebody come and advocate with you or just be there as moral support. Um, if you are bringing somebody and you know that, give the principal a heads up. Just they have enough chairs, enough space, right? They can't say no to you. And it's just kind of a polite thing to do. And you don't have to say it in a mean way. Just like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring my friend with me. I'm going to bring my mom with me, my husband, whatever. If there is something that they are telling you and you are not 100% sure, ask questions. Make sure you understand what it is that they are explaining to you because this is your kid's future. This is what class they're going to be in. This is super important that you totally understand what is happening. Try to make sure that you communicate in the best possible way you can. So I know I've been in school meetings and I get really emotional sometimes and I'm not communicating to the best of my ability. So try your best to keep your emotions in check, which that's why writing things down has really helped me is that if I write it down and I stay right on track with what I've written down, I am more able to stay on top of my emotions. Um, and if they are going to change the placement of your child, they're going to need you to agree to whatever class it is they're sending them to. So ask lots of questions. My favorite line that I've learned over the years is, let me think about it. Um, usually that happens on phone conversations. Before I agree to anything, I always say, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. Because what I found over the years is that they want an answer right then and there, and I may not have one. So you're allowed to think about it. It is totally okay that you take that chance and think. When you are going into the IPRC meeting, if you haven't already provided the school with written documentation about a diagnosis, do so. 
at that meeting. I mean, you probably have already done it. That's why the meeting is about to happen. But just in case you haven't, make sure that you give them a copy of it. Always keep a copy for yourself. Um, I tend to like to take lots of notes in meetings. Not so much the IPRC, only because, like I said, ours now are short and sweet because this will be our fifth one. I'm going to go in. They're going to tell me what I already know for next year's high school, what class she's going into. I already know. So, I mean, it's, it's not going to take that long. She's going to get the exceptionality of autism again. Uh, it's not going to be too complicated for, for us. But the first time was complicated. I had no idea she had... I mean, she's got like seven different diagnoses, but some of them don't count for this. I was told when I first requested the IPRC meeting, when she just had the diagnosis of ADHD, that that doesn't count for an IPRC. And I was like, what? That doesn't make sense. I mean, look at her behavior at school. Doesn't this fall under behavior? So it can be very confusing. So bring in anything that you think will help, any any kind of assessments that you think might help because it can be very overwhelming. The reason to get an IPRC done is if you think that your child needs extra help, this is what to do. So yes, they could have an IEP, but if they don't have an IPRC, an IEP is kind of like a, we should do this. When they have the IPRC, it's more like they have to do this. That's my easiest way of describing it. So the IPRC is kind of like that final contract and it also lets you access classes that you wouldn't otherwise be able to access. So for instance, my daughter having been in the social strategies class without having the IPRC done first, she wouldn't have been able to go to that class because it was for exceptionalities. Um, the class that she's in right now with the bridge, it's actually classified as a regular classroom, but again, it's for kids with exceptionalities. So um, it's just one thing that's important if you want, think that they would benefit from going into a different class, from going into a class that maybe has only eight kids. Because um, without the IPRC, you don't have access to those things, so that can be kind of detrimental. But only you know what's best for your child, so make sure that you do what you think is best. Uh, if anybody has any questions, feel free to email us at empowermentcoaches at gmail.com. We'll do our best to answer any questions um, or direct you to somebody who is better able to answer your questions because we're just talking as parents who have kind of been through the ringer a few times. And for me, having an IPRC done was like I said, super important, gave her access to the social strategies class, it's given her access to the bridge class, gave us access to another class that wasn't so good, <laughs> but I mean, she's been in one, two, three, four, five, six different schools over the years, so I mean, it's it's been a roller coaster, that's for sure. I would love also if you want to send in your stories um, like a, if you've got a short story that you want to share about something great that's happened or a struggle that's happened, feel free to type it out, send it in. We'll read it on the podcast. It'd be awesome to hear from other people's experiences about raising your child with neurodiversity. Your child doesn't have to have autism. They could have whatever it is that they have. They don't have to have anything. They could just be rambunctious because they're a kid and you want to share. It's totally fine. So, I hope this helps somebody learn a little bit more about an IPRC and I hope everyone is staying safe during this time and you are still finding your silver lining. 
my silver lining this week is that I have the chance to actually get on top of the podcast making and I love it. Um, so I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye.